hey there everyone and welcome to this episode of Beyond Ethical. Today we interviewed a guy named John Verlee who worked as a youth pastor at Ada Bible and then transitioned to building a church management software called Breeze, which ended up serving over 9,000 churches. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Welcome, John. Thank you so much for joining us today on our episode of Beyond Ethical. We're very excited to have you. And I guess if you could just introduce yourself to the people who are listening, um, just give us a high-level overview of yourself and who you are, your company. Sure. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you both so much for having me. Um, as Emily mentioned, I'm John, and I, uh, for the last nine years or so, have had the opportunity to start and then run a software company that has been focused on serving the church. I'll get into that a little bit more in a moment, but uh, on a personal side, uh, I've been married 13 years to my lovely bride, Carrie. Uh, We've got three kiddos, a nine-year-old girl and boy-girl twins that are seven, um, and we live here in West Michigan, Hudsonville to be specific. Um, on On the business side, I've always had this love for entrepreneurship and, um, and startups and just the exhilaration that uh, that world entails. And have also really loved the, um, the church. I believe that the church is the hope of the world um, and that Jesus's work through that is, uh, is, is pivotal to um, you know, who we are. And so it has been a complete joy to be able to merge those two worlds uh, and happy to dig into that story on whatever level makes sense here. Yeah. I, I just, I don't know, just from the beginning, I just, uh, my conversations with you before and everything, I just, I love how you have just a passion for entrepreneurship, but beyond that, is everything is like at the root of, of Christ and, um, you know, being able to build like the, the software you built, um, you know, you, you guys obviously did well on that, but you created it around serving churches. And like you said, like the hope of the world, like we're the churches, you know, the people of God to help make an impact on the world. Um, so yeah, could you could you tell us more about kind of your journey through the software? Because I know you guys just got acquired, so maybe you know tell us how you got there and how you built your program and everything. Yeah, yeah. So jump into that story here. I'm, I'm a Kelvin grad myself. Uh, graduated Kelvin in 2007, and um, while I was here at, at Kelvin, really got involved in a couple of different ministry opportunities. Um, one of which was over at Ada Bible Church as a small group leader for middle school students. Um, I just loved everything about that. I volunteered during my time here. And then as I as I graduated, um, I went on staff at Ada Bible uh, and also went on to seminary and um, eventually was, was full-time there at the church working in student ministries with middle school and high school students. Um, it was uh, during during that time, actually in, in grad school at seminary, where um, my now wife Carrie and I got married. And when we first got married, she was finishing up school at the University of Michigan. And so um, we got married and then I moved out to Ann Arbor um, to be with her. Um, she had uh, she had an interesting job while she was a student there that she was working in a lab um, studying cholera. And so her job was, uh, her time rather at her job was dictated more by the half-life of, um, of these processes rather than anything that resembled nine to five. When I was in Ann Arbor at the same, um, 
during that same season then, I was still in school, so and so I was doing a couple of internships. Um, my seminary education, I was specifically going to be a counselor. And as I got into these internships in Ann Arbor, I discovered something that was rather unfortunate at this phase in my studies. I didn't actually like being a counselor. Um, I have a lot of respect for the uh, for the profession. I think it's absolutely necessary. Just personally, it did not resonate with with me. I liked aspects of it. I liked the um, I liked listening. I liked asking good questions, but I didn't like the um, just hour after hour sitting in a room uh, and that counseling side. And so I had a lot of this creative um, creative energy of I, I, I want to do something. Um, and was in two very underwhelming internships. Meanwhile, my wife um, was gone at uh, strange hours, given her job in the cholera lab, all of which led to this moment of, hey, I, I want to lean more into technology. And so what if I start a web development company? Um, Growing up in middle school and high school, I did um, uh, quite a bit of self-taught programming. And so that was a skill set that uh, was really dormant during my college years, but had been there previously. And so I use the term starting a company here loosely in that I was doing freelance web work for, um, you know, who, who kind of whoever would take it. Um, and so when we moved back across from um, Ann Arbor back to the Grand Rapids area after um, Carrie graduated from, from U of M. Um, and I started working again at Ada Bible Church um, in a full-time capacity. I kept doing that that uh, web work, uh, that freelance web work on the side, uh, so moonlighting uh, nights and weekends. It was probably a year or two into that that the church brought in an alternate church management database. And it was really interesting watching that um, transition from the inside, specifically how much frustration and complexity uh, was felt amongst the staff with that transition. And we were a pretty large church at the time, about 80 or 90 staff. And um, still, even with that level of expertise and specialization on the, on the team, it was still a struggle. Which led me ultimately to the question of, hey, if a church of this size is struggling with this, how on earth does the much more typically sized church of you know, four or five staff members, uh, 200, 300 people on a weekend, navigate this world of church management software? And is there room for churches, um, is there room in the, in the market for church management software that is specifically tailored towards small and mid-sized churches by being insanely easy to use. Um, kind of jumping forward after wrestling with that idea for almost a year or so, uh, finally had a point of, well, let's just try it. Um, I say let's, um, let's refers to my super supportive wife, my at the time three-month-old daughter, because you always want to start a company right after you have your first baby, <laughs> and then uh, myself. And so started writing, um, writing code uh, and taking more of those nights and weekends that I had formerly been working for, um, for clients on the freelance side and instead writing a product while also continuing to work full time at the church. God really seemed to bless that and it um, was growing and growing. And um, it hit a point where it was difficult to keep up with the um, the full time ministry as well as uh, as well as continue to grow uh, to grow this uh, kind of fledgling company. Um, 
And so eventually stepped out of full-time ministry um, at the church, taking a part-time role at, uh, at an alternate church. Um, and it was a cool God story of how that opened up. Um, and they essentially knew that that was a stepping stone for me to eventually be at um, my company, which is called Breeze, to be at Fruit Breeze full-time, which is, uh, which is, praise the Lord, what happened. And so after a couple of, um, couple of years, um, as Breeze grew, uh, the church role declined. And I think that's a really important part as well. I think oftentimes the uh, sensationalized story that people get is, of the founder kind of chucks all security and just chases their dream. And in some cases, perhaps that's needed. But I think in most cases, um, startup founders um, are much more, um, would be much more prudent to say, how can I start something on the side along with the stable income, along with the full-time job, um, and balance these worlds together? Oftentimes, people are juggling a lot of uh, responsibilities, whether they're married, have kids, have a mortgage. And I think it's unwise for um, for many people to uh, just say goodbye to uh, their, their secure income. But that shouldn't also then stop them from moving forward. So um, moving, moving forward from that... Um, the, began to hire a team and, um, you know, one, two, five, 10, 20 people. It, it kept on growing. And uh, eventually we were right around 45 or 50 people. Um, and it was a fascinating transition for myself as well, whereas I started as a programmer in this, uh, in this company, I, I ultimately left as a CEO. And so there was a, a very um, steep learning curve there that Honestly, I relished and really enjoyed that that mm-hmm. process. Um, you mentioned um, kind of what what uh, Breeze has looked like more recently, and mm-hmm. and specifically our sale. and And it's true; it was about uh, six months uh, ago or so that um, that uh, another company in the church tech space acquired Breeze. Um, to be honest, I didn't think I'd sell um, Breeze. Um, I loved what I was doing. The church and technology are my passions. Um, why would I want to do anything else? Um, and uh, and for a long time, that was a, a very helpful guiding light um, as we received different um, different interest um, conversations that were interested in, in in acquiring or at least exploring acquiring Breeze, and was easily able to say no. Honestly, it was um, it was in May of 2021 then when uh, woke up one morning and just kind of felt the sense of peace that if I sold, it would be okay. And so my wife and I, we prayed and prayed about that and that peace really held. And so we approached some companies that um, we really felt like had their heads on straight as it related to uh, mission and purpose over, um, over profit and not just focused on the, the bottom line. Um, and uh, and that led into an uh, acquisition process that ultimately wrapped up at the end of August uh, 2021. Um, and so now I'm in a bit of a different season as I look at what's next. So that is the brief story, kind of the Cliff Notes version of it. Happy to dig into anything that would that would be helpful or make um, make sense here. Yeah. For sure. Wow, that sounds like an incredible journey. You, I feel like you've come a long way and. 
I feel like there's a lot of moving parts to that as well. So I'm curious, how, and especially at the beginning of your career, did you discern God's calling for you versus what you wanted? For example, like you said you initially wanted to be a counselor, but then you switched over and you moved to Ann Arbor because your wife was in school there. So how did you discern that that's where God wanted you to be versus, oh, that's what I want? Yeah, yeah. That's good. (laughs) I think that... This is, this is my personal opinion, but that oftentimes we interpret, oftentimes we see God's call as something that is narrower than what it actually is. Um, I think that there are certain times in history um, and in our lives where God may say, this is the direction that I'd like you to go. And, and, um, different people describe it differently, but it's kind of one, one of those senses of like, I just need to do this. I, in my experience, that is the exception, not the, not the rule, not the norm. That uh, for me, I see scripture laid out and giving us, um, giving us a guide for the best possible way to live a full and alive life. Um, and so aligning with scripture is, um, is critical, but that God gives us a lot of choice within that. And so whether it's uh, the profession that we go into to who we marry, I think that there's a large degree um, of, uh, of personal choice there that um, doesn't necessarily violate you know, God's will. Now, at the same time, I think there are certain circumstances where um, it seems like the Holy Spirit's nudging or leading is a little bit more direct. Um, there was a point that was prior to Breeze, um, while I was working at Ada Bible Church and the freelance uh, business was was growing. Um, <clears throat> and I remembered there was a year where Carrie, my wife, and I looked at our taxes at the end of the year and realized, hey, w- um, our income from the freelance work actually exceeded that of the church. Um, and and um, that spun off a thought of, okay, is, is the freelance work, is the web work my, my future? And so wrestled with that a little bit and, and eventually decided yes. And so I went to my boss and had a lovely pizza lunch with him and said, I, I think I'd like to, like to quit um, to be able to go pursue this. He said, and he said, okay, well, we'll, we'll miss you, but we, we wish you the best. And in youth ministry world, summer is really the best transition time. So I, this was like a four-month um, heads up or something like that. So lots of time. And the, um, the day got closer and closer to when I would need to basically email out to all the families and say, Hey, here's, I'm, I'm stepping out, here's transition, all of that. And I remember it was the day I was supposed to send that email. I felt such a deep, inexplicable almost sense of, um, uh, sense of restlessness and lack of peace about moving forward that, with that decision. Um, and so I, I came back to my boss, again, after wrestling with this for just a little bit, and said, can I, can I unquit? <laughs> can I, I, I don't think this is the direction. And, and they were lovely, and they took me back with open arms. I would point to that as a time of just the Holy Spirit's leading and saying, no, this is, this is not the, the track. But again, I would say that that, for me, has been the exception rather than the rule, and that um, aligning with Scripture and staying tuned into the Holy Spirit is um, is the normal course of action. Yeah, I just like how um, 
I don't know, I think it's easy for college students, like, people ask you, like, the first thing they ask is, what are you majoring in? Or, you know, like, what do you hope to do after college, et cetera? And for you, like, you were in seminary, and you were like, eh, I'm not really sure I like this. And then, you know, and now you were um, contemplating, like, leaving the church to do freelancing. And then, so I just think it's, um, I don't know, I just like how you can hear stories of successful entrepreneurs that um, had the same struggles as everyone else, and that it's okay to, um, you know, maybe not enjoy exactly what you're doing and still change course. Like you said, that you're not going to, like, um, go against God's will by doing that. It's just um, you're going to have to measure where you are every day and if you're, you know, really loving what you're doing. Yeah. yeah. I think entrepreneurship comes alive when it is paired with another discipline or another domain expertise. For me, it was the church. For other people, it's engineering um, or uh, language or social work. The list is basically endless. Um and God uses all of our experiences uh, to come together and shape who we are. Some of those experiences are lovely to go through; others are really difficult, and we wouldn't um, wish we wouldn't wish that we went through through all of that angst. Yet they shape who we are, and that's a strength that we pull forward. Yeah, I have another question for you. Why did you choose middle schoolers as the target population that you wanted to serve initially? Oh, that's a good one. Middle schoolers are, I think, the funniest people on the planet. Um, I found that I really enjoyed um, working with middle schoolers. Probably one, because um, they're just starting to kind of grab onto some of this abstract thought and starting to wrestle with some bigger questions. Elementary schooler kids are, are wonderful, but the world's a little bit more concrete for them. And high schoolers are too cool for everybody. But <laughs> middle school is this magic, this magic moment where kids are still young enough to kind of really, really be open and um, and not jaded as at least as as much as a stereotypical high schooler, right? Um, and asking some of these big questions. And so um, being able to come alongside middle school students and help them see who their creator is and how much he loves them in that pivotal time in their life when they're starting to shape how they see the world, I think that the, um, the return on that investment, the, the impact that that has is enormous. Mm. Yeah, I heard a statistic a long time ago that middle school during those years is when your faith is the most formative and when you have the most influence or impact on your faith. And so I just wanted to hear your perspective. But that's great that you chose that that demographic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you said uh, purpose over profit. And I know that's kind of something um, you know we talked about before, but that's been something that's kind of stuck with me. And um, I think it's you know easy to think like, oh, I could make, you know, X amount more dollars um, doing this, but then you realize, like, well, is that the best way I can treat people or care for people? Um, so can you kind of go into, you know, how you came up with that, like, motto and, and what that what that means to you at, at its core? Yeah, purpose over profit. I think that the fastest way to hit the main point of that is to think of, um, think of uh, kind of a deathbed scenario, right? That someone's on their deathbed, they know they only have um, days or hours to live. And they look back on their life and they say, did I, am I proud of the choices that I made? made? And do I have any regrets about them? Um, and 
in this context specifically related to the business world. I think very few people in that moment would look back and say, I wish I had a few more zeros at the end of my bank account or a few more commas in there. Even, even somebody who's not, um, who doesn't have a strong or any faith background, I, I just don't think that that's ultimately what any of us really in the end value. Um, we value something that's deeper than that. We value impact. We value purpose. We value um, meaning and being able to help and serve others. We're, we're all wired with God's image, and so that's so deep in us. So often, though, when we're in the day-to-day -day of starting uh, or running a business, the money side of it takes the focus. And it has a place. Money is the lifeblood of a business. You can't have a business without revenue coming in to, um, to support it. But ultimately, that's not the goal. A company's goal isn't to make money. A company's goal is to make software, to make clothes, to make, um, you know, to, to serve people in a hospital or in a social work setting. Right? Money is a byproduct of that but too often we get those mixed up. And so purpose over profit is this mentality of always remembering why are we doing what we're doing? And when those two come into conflict with one another, um, sure, we want to run our business as well, but purpose should win the day because that's ultimately what we're here to do. Mm, that's good. Mm, yeah, I really appreciate that motto. Um, I'm curious, so as a founder of your own company, what does it look like to lead people and be at the top as an example for employees to see? And how do you treat them versus like how you interact with them um, on a day-to-day -day basis? Mm -hmm. There's a saying that uh, <clears throat> companies are really reflections of their founder, which <laughs> as a founder is rather intimidating. Mm -hmm. um, but I also think there's a lot of truth to it. Um, I think that, and so as, as I saw my role at Breeze, it was primarily two things. One of, the, one of those two was being the vision for the company. Where are we going? Um, or at least the, the voice that would really share that with, with the team. The other was being the guide for our team's culture. Um, and culture is a word that gets thrown around a lot, and it's kind of this abstract idea. But I am more convinced now than ever that it is critical for a company's success. And that culture rests on the shoulders of the founder. And so as we look at how are we a team, uh, how are we a place that people love to come to, to, to go to work? I think having, having a culture that people love is critical. Um, so what does that actually mean? I think the first part of it is having really clear values and holding everybody to those. Uh, we were a team of, we were about 12 people or so um, when we did our first um, company gathering. We we're a remote team from the, from the get-go. And so we were spread out all across the U.S. And so we had our first, we called them our breeze retreats. We had our first breeze retreat in 2017. Um, and so 
being a remote team was fun because we could really meet anywhere we wanted. So we all flew to Orlando, uh, drove out to the coast and got on a cruise ship um, and went out into uh, the Caribbean on, um, on this cruise line. It was a blast. And we rented um, out the back of some Chinese restaurant aboard the cruise ship while we're out on the ocean. And, um, and I said, hey, we're a team of 12 right now. We, we like this. As we grow, as we double or triple, how can we be sure that this feeling persists and that we don't lose it uh, over time? And so, and so let's do this as a fun exercise. I said, you'll have to suspend reality a little bit for a moment, but imagine, imagine the planet Mars is colonized and we have a spaceship and it fits four people and we're gonna send four people there to start a branch of breeze on the planet. What four people would you send and why? And so people wrote down their names and they wrote down the why and I collected them all. And um, I never told anybody what the names were. I didn't want it to be a popularity contest. Rather, I was looking at the why because the whys generated in that list essentially represented here is who we are as a company. And any of our future hires we want them to align to these to these whys, and so out of that came our four um, our four core values. And as we continued to grow, um, you know, past twelve to 20, 30, 40, we continued hiring to those values. And I think more than anything else, more than any um, any great speech, uh, more than any um, one action, hiring to those values of who we are, where um, who we are as a team was the most critical thing we could do to create a place that people love to work um, and as an extension leading the company um, leading the company well wow what a fun and impactful and effective exercise yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. so great time hanging out in that chinese restaurant <laughs> how did you come up with the name the name breeze so i mentioned uh at the front end of this that the main tension point that I felt was the complexity over the software um, in the church management space. And that, well, a mega church like I was at could navigate their way through eventually. How does this smaller um, church navigate that? And so ease of use was uh, to be then one of the core defining features of what Breeze is. Right. And so Breeze, it's, it's a breeze. It's easy as that. Um, really lent itself well to that uh, differentiator. Yeah. And how did you get plugged in with all the all the churches? Because Breeze ended up serving over nine thousand churches. I saw on the website. So how did you how did you get started? Like, did you go local or did you? Yeah. So I'll zoom in on that part of the story a little bit. Um, I was working at uh, Ada Bible uh, full time, and the and built out the MVP minimum viable product in the first eight months or so. Um, which if I did it again, I would have done a lot more user testing during those eight months. Nonetheless, at the end of that, I entered what I call the Starbucks era, uh, which is when I would connect with local area churches around the West Michigan area, go grab Starbucks with them and show them what I built and say, hey, would you use this for free? Um, the only compensation I'm looking for is feedback. And so that was helpful to get some feedback and to get... Um, maybe about seven, eight, nine churches that, um, that were 
using it on some level. But the ultimate test then was, hey, would somebody actually pay for this thing? Um, and so it was uh, about 11 months after writing that initial line of code, um, I used a similar email um, to a church in the area. This time, though, with a more official, like, um, would you like to check it out to in, in order to buy it? And so I drove out to that church. I sat down with them. I walked them through it. And at the end of that, they said, yeah, I, I, I think so. Now, Breeze at the time was $50 a month. It was making much more than that on the freelance side, or I had been. Yet that $50 felt like more than all that other money because now somebody has paid for a product that I've built. I've not just fulfilled a service contract with somebody. Um, second customer was the same um, in terms of driving to the church. But at some point, we needed to scale beyond um, beyond my ability to drive to a church and have a you know hour-long conversation with them. And so I started doing some online advertising. And, and the way that we had it set up is when you went to the Breeze site, you could type in your name and um, phone number and email address and then start an instant demo on the site. And I had it programmed so that when somebody would do that, I would instantly get a text on my phone with their contact information. And so I played this game where uh, somebody would, through the online advertising, go into Breeze, start a demo, I'd get the text, I'd wait about two or three minutes, and then I'd pull my phone out and I'd call them. Say, hey, this is John with Breeze. Uh, just saw that you were starting a demo and wanted to know if you had any questions. I think people loved, some people loved that service. <laughs> I think other people, it freaked out. Nonetheless, it got me in front of potential customers uh, and a lot of them very early on. Um, and even those that didn't sign up, I got to um, here's some great feedback from them, um, and um, and pivot the product in many cases based on that feedback, and as that continued on, more and more signed up. Um, and Breeze is a subscription uh, is a subscription uh, company, a SaaS business, software as a service, and so as more uh, customers signed up, um, revenue grew, allowing us to scale out marketing efforts even more. You mentioned earlier that you're currently in a new season of your life um, right now. What does that entail for you? And is that daunting to you? Is it exciting with the acquisition of Breeze? How do you feel? My wife and I joke that our our, our role right now is full-time parents. Um, <laughs> but uh, no, it's it's been just the last uh, couple of months or so since I've wrapped up helping Breeze integrate with the acquiring company. Um, to be honest, I do love it. It is fun to reimagine what the future looks like. There is some existential, existential angst that kind of can creep into the corners of my mind here and there, but, but um, that's, that's pretty minimal. Um, I think God has wired me to be an entrepreneur. I love the startup world. And so the chance to kind of restart is exciting. Um, I... It, where where my passions have uh, kind of guided guided me are specifically to helping more people start startups. Um, I look back on myself and in high school and college, I had this entrepreneurial itch, but I didn't know really what to do with it. It certainly didn't have um, down a lot of the fundamentals that I learned 
um, just through experience, just through going through it. And so one of the, my big questions is what would it look like to circle back to the high school or college level um, to be able to create an ecosystem where more people can uh, create companies, and not just any companies, but companies that are Christ-focused, companies that are purpose over profit, because the world doesn't need more companies. The world needs Jesus, and I think that business is one of the most powerful ways of um, of showing the world what Christ is like by offering real value to the marketplace done in a way that honors Christ, Christ and his, uh, his call in our lives. Yeah, I like that. And... Um... I don't know, you kind of talked in the beginning about working um, at Ada and then doing freelancing on the side or then then starting um, this whole business. So what did, in that period of life, what did the work-life balance look like for you and what does it kind of look like now? Or I guess maybe, you know, before you uh, sold, you know, what did it look like when, uh, I guess, Breeze was in its heyday? Yeah, some people, work-life balance, such a good question. Um Work-life integration is what some people refer to it as, acknowledging that the two really mix together. I think all the more with um, remote work and now post-pandemic or mid-pandemic or whenever we are, um, that uh, remote work situations are all the more common. It really melds together. And so part of that is having um, great boundaries. I'm getting a bit ahead of myself, though. For me... In starting Breeze, I mentioned that our daughter was three months old. That was a really hard season. Um, I don't know that I nailed that. In fact, I'm sure I didn't. Um, It was a lot of work um, being a parent, being a husband, and starting a company and working full time. It just was. Um, And so maybe the greatest... um, feedback I can offer is that if you're in a season of that, you're not alone. Um, That said, we can't live there. We can't live working 60, 70, 80 hours a week. Um, And it's certainly not how I wanted my team to live either. We burn out. Um, and um, And so having a work life balance to me means and an hours wise probably not more than 50 hours probably closer to 40 we only have so much creative energy um and uh and we don't want to burn that out um it means taking time for what's important um if you're married that means your spouse if you have kids it means your spouse and your kids um those things are critical and it's well worth the sacrifice um on the business side to invest there there are seasons. There are seasons where work requires a lot. And so clear communication, especially if you're married, um, clear communication about what that looks like and um, aligned expectations, but then as quickly as possible to get back to that sustainable um, pace, 40 hours, 45 hours, um, and integrated in such a way that when you're at home, you're at home. Um, or we, when you're with your spouse or you're with your kids, you're really there and you're mentally present. You're not just recycling emails in your mind. I like that. Mm-hmm. If you could go back in time to 2007 when you're graduating Calvin, um, what advice would you give to your younger self as you're starting your career? <laughs> 2007, I had jumped into 
uh, church world. Um, and I uh, was working at Ada. What advice? Um, I think my advice would be to enjoy exploring different opportunities. Um, I'm, at a, I'm at a point right now where I'm very much in exploring uh, what's next and having different conversations. And I think there's so much benefit to um, just casting a wide net, um, especially when you're at the what's next phase. Um, and when I was right out, right out of college, I think that um, just casting that wide net, having a lot of conversations, meeting as many people as possible, having lots of coffee um, with, with people and getting to understand their business, their world, uh, it just expands your view of the world um, all the more. Um, and I think that that would benefit every everybody, um, regardless of how entrepreneurial they are. Yeah. Um, when you're facing mental block and, and challenges, I know, I mean, right, right now you're in a season of kind of figuring out what's next. Um, if you go through a time where you're like, man, I, you know, I really have this itch to do something, or you said in college, you're like, man, I really have this itch to make a product. Um, how do you go about getting out of that mental block or coming up with an idea? Yeah, I, I mentioned that we only have so much creative energy, and I, I really mean that. I think that in this scenario, trying harder doesn't usually work. You just burn yourself out all the more. Um, taking a break. I found that some of my most creative time is when I'm on vacation um, and I'm not thinking about thinking about work. But even outside of that, you don't need a flight to Florida in order to figure things out. It's focusing on something that's not directly the problem. Read a book that's not related at all to what you're working on. Work on something else um, that might be a little bit more cut and dry and task-based. For me, I found that that creative problem oftentimes marinates in the back of my mind. And after a couple nights of sleep um, and just having it sit there, there'll be this moment, whether it's driving or in the shower or um, eating breakfast, where all of a sudden it clicks. Um, and so in, in short, focus on something else, trying harder for creative problems oftentimes is not the solution. Mm. Mm, that's really smart. Yeah, Work smarter, not harder. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, I guess to wrap up, we have our final two questions. Um, one of them is, what does success mean to you? Success to me goes back to the deathbed question. If I can look back on my life when lying on my deathbed and say, I've squeezed every ounce of um, potential out from what God has given me and has impacted his kingdom. Um, and the world looks more like Jesus wants it to because of the impact that he's allowed me to have, that's success. Uh, on a biblical standpoint, uh, it's the parable of the talents, that um, whatever God has given me, I want to maximize for his kingdom. Mm -hmm. I love that. And um, yeah, just to just wrap up, what does redemptive entrepreneurship mean to you? Yeah, redemptive entrepreneurship. Um, I took this term from Praxis. Uh, Praxis Labs is an organization that's really focused on this idea. Uh, but for me, it's the idea that entrepreneurship is not simply a means of making money. 
um, that entrepreneurship is a means of helping the world redeem itself to what God created it to be, and that that touches every aspect of the business. And so from the customers that interact with a redemptive um, company, they should feel that something is different, that they're being served really well, that the company genuinely cares about their interests, that the employees who work at that company are uh, should feel taken care of and not exploited. They shouldn't feel like they have to argue for every last cent that they get in their compensation package, but that the the owners truly care about them, and that the owners are um, viewing the company as a um, in in a healthy way. That they're not working eighty hours a week, um, and that they are leading their team well. Um, in the context of Breeze being able to serve churches uh, and help them magnify their impact, um, serve the team, and being a place that people love to work. Um, and attempting to follow Christ in our own lives on the ownership side um, has been what that has looked like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's wow. great. Yeah, you were so insightful. Um, yeah. We appreciate just you having a conversation with us and taking time out of your day. So thank you again, John, for joining us. Yeah, yeah absolute pleasure. <laughs> thank you both. <laughs>enjoyed our conversation. Um, I guess we're going to start with our recaps. So for me, I would say the biggest takeaway was when he said, the world doesn't need more companies, it needs Jesus. And for some reason, that phrase really just stuck out to me. It was just such an impactful sentence um, and one-liner. But honestly, you know, when it comes to creating culture, when it comes to startups, I think my mind automatically thinks, oh, we need more companies in order to like make change to create culture. But it was so cool to hear him connect that back to God and Jesus and say, no, honestly, you don't need to turn more profit. You don't need to make more revenue. All you need to do is just turn people to the Lord um, and show them God's love. So I thought that was really, really cool what he said. Yeah. Yeah, I was second that. I think just, you know, he's so insightful as it is, but um, obviously his company was crazy successful um, and he had such a a mission behind it and I just loved how um, you know he probably could have raised the price on the software and made I don't know a couple hundred thousand more dollars I'm sure but um, you know he said purpose over profit and he wanted to make sure that the space that they worked in was you know good for the employees and everything so I just um, kind of really admire his work work ethic and um, yeah, how he goes about doing things in a, in a Christ-like manner so for sure well again we hope you enjoyed today's episode thank you for listening and tune in soon to hear more. Bye. Bye.